Okay, well, good morning from me. Um, my name's Tim and uh, part of the team here and uh, you're so welcome. Thank you so much if you've come to just look in this morning. You're so welcome and I'd uh, love to say hello to you afterwards if you want to uh, say hello to someone in person. There's also a welcome team that wear yellow lanyards. They'd love to answer any questions you have. But uh, thank you so much for coming. We're going to, uh, as Tom said, get, have a, a standalone message. We usually have uh, a series that we run through, whether that's a book of the Bible or a theme that we're going through. This morning we're looking at something which is not part of a series, but standalone. And, and last week um, uh, Tom spoke to us. It's great to have Tom back, isn't it? I've just really appreciated having him back and uh, it's been really encouraging. And um, he spoke to us about being partners in the gospel, that we are called to be part of something that is bigger than ourselves, that we get this great privilege when we become a Christian. It's not just this vertical, just me and God, but it's a horizontal. He's called us into something bigger that we take, uh, that we take responsibility for. Uh, and that is that we might share and extend the, the, the story and the, 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 the news of the gospel which Tom explained last week, the word gospel simply means good news. We have good news to share, good news to bring as Christians. And the simple fact is that at one time, mankind was at uh, animosity with God. There was a divide. There was a a breakage in the relationship with God as as mankind turned away from God and kept turning away from God. And uh, relentlessly, God pursued mankind to the point where he sent his own son, Jesus, to bring reconciliation so that there would no longer be a divide. God reconciled us to himself. We have been reconciled not by our work, but by his work. He has purchased us uh, and... He has purchased us to advance his good news together, that we stand side by side. Being a believer and follower of Jesus means joining something, being part of something much bigger than ourselves. In fact, much bigger than anything else that there is. Christians throughout history have made the decision again and again to turn away from what the world says is a big deal because they believe I've seen something bigger. I've seen something greater. And so that is our story. And uh, God has given us a mandate to build his kingdom, to build the church. And together, we, as we heard last week, we give of ourselves. We give of our time, our effort, our finance. We give of our hearts for the advance of the gospel, side by side, united in hearts. You might remember from last week that picture of the, the military Roman tortoise or turtle, uh, where they would be side by side in the shields, over the top, side by side, impenetrable, as they linked together for advance. And that was a a picture of how we need to stand together for the advance of the gospel. The reality is that we've got the best news, as we've been singing about this morning, that the world has ever known. Our mandate is to take it far and wide, side by side. And it rhymes, so it's, it's definitely true. Far and wide, side by side. And today we're going to look at a passage that will help us to stand side by side as we breathe more and more deeply of the gospel. So we're called to stand side by side as we take the gospel far and wide, but we're also called to stand side by side as we breathe in more and more deeply of the good news of the gospel as we chew on it, as we let it get into the depths of our hearts, into the very actions and decisions that we make and the the confidence that we have. If you take a 
a deep breath and you feel your lungs expanding more than they normally do and air getting further and further than it normally does. The gospel is supposed to get deep and far into our lives. How deeply have you breathed in the good news of Jesus? How much have you fought to hold on to the gospel? How much have you chewed on it? How much do you meditate on it? The Bible calls us to meditate on it day and night. How much have you tasted of its goodness? Perhaps the most revealing question you could ask yourself to answer these questions would be, how much has the person and work of Jesus noticeably changed my life? Am I just the same as I would be if it wasn't for Jesus? Or without Jesus? Or has he noticeably changed my life? Does the gospel completely inform your daily life? Is your life characterised by things like peace that comes through the gospel? Joy that comes because of the gospel? Love that has been given to us in the gospel? Or perhaps another question we could ask is one that comes up in our text today. And it is this, do you have confidence for the day of judgment? Do you have confidence for the day of judgment? And I'm not just talking, yeah, I think I'll be all right. I think I'll be all right. Before the holy of holies, the one that the Bible says that, that seraphim are, are before covering their eyes and their feet and just calling holy, holy, holy. The one that told Moses, if you see me, you will die. This holy one, the one that John says in Revelation chapter 1, that he sees with eyes like fire and feet like bronze. His face is white and John falls down dead as if dead. Just, whoa. And yet, we could ask, how could I ever be confident? I'm not just saying, I think I'd be able to stand. I think so. No, can you stand bold before this God? Can you stand bold, confident? How could anyone, even, even the most uh, experienced Christian, how could he possibly stand? Well, today's text says there is a possibility for us to stand bold confident before the holy of holies. Does that terrify you? Well, today we're going to see how we can actually be confident. Let's turn to 1 John chapter 4. If you've got your Bibles, 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to the end. I'm going to read through. It will be on the screen as well. Beloved, beloved. So just, this is who he's This is the identity of the people he's speaking to. You are loved. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him. And he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that 
the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe that the love that God has for us, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. Therefore, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love you, God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Well, there's a lot there, isn't there? Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we stand on it. We want this morning for your word to interrupt our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we do pray, God, let us experience and receive your love. Let us know what it is to let the love of God get into the depths of our lives and our hearts. Let us share in your love. Let us hold on to it courageously and fight for it. Lord, we pray your Holy Spirit would help us to receive what you want us to say this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, what a, what a wonderful outburst from John about love. And yet, you may be there having your head spinning a little bit. There's a lot of repetition, a lot of like, just love, 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 love. In 15 verses, he says love 27 times. And you can kind of, you know, when you say a word enough, it turns into a nonsense. I don't really, okay. Well, we're going to not go through every single moment of this passage, but there are three things I want us to pick out. But first of all, let's just consider this outburst from John about the love of God. A few things that it says. It says, God is love. God is love. That He is God. He is love. That it, it's, it just flows from him. It is his character. It is his defining character and it comes from him. He is the origin of love. If it weren't for God, we wouldn't understand what love is. We wouldn't have an accurate understanding of what love is. We wouldn't know it. It says that he has showed us, given us a manifestation of love in Jesus Christ. Verse 9 is a powerful and understated picture of the depth of love poured out in Jesus. Let's look at that just briefly. This, this look at the gospel in one verse, or half a verse, that is this understated, and yet if we just chew on it a moment, we will think, wow, God sent his only, only, focus on that for a moment, his special one. His dear one, his beloved, his precious, his only son, his very own, his very best, the prince of heaven, who was seated in heavenly places, in glorious splendor, sent him into the world, the world broken, the world cursed, the the world filthy, why? To die. What was his, his mission? To die. The high king of heaven, born low. To die 
as a sacrificial lamb in the most disgusting, humiliating and painful execution that the Roman Empire could dream up. So that we, good old us, we, no, so that sinful, undeserving, rebellious haters of God might live. Half a verse, the depth is glorious when you just chew on this revelation of God's love. Such love, such love, his only son into the world so that we might live. And John Stott, pastor and author in the 20th century, says this, In the ancient world, outside Christianity, it was thought appropriate to love only those who were regarded as worthy of being loved. But God loves sinners who are unworthy of his love and indeed subject to his wrath. He loved us and sent his son to rescue us, not because we are lovable, but because he is love. And in all of this, God took the initiative, moving towards us, loving us first at a terrible cost to himself because that is who he is. Just incredible love of God that John is taken up with. He wants most of of all to share about God's love. This morning, the, the title of this message is The Victory of God's Love. The victory of God's love. And and John is is overwhelmed by the victory of God's love. He lives in it. He dwells in it. And it therefore gushes out of him. God is love. God has loved. We only know what love is because of God. God sent Jesus as his love. God loves you. And yet there's some very interesting phrases in here that we're going to look at a little bit. He talks about being God's love being made perfect as if it might not be perfect at times. God's love being made complete. In, the other, in other translations, it uses the word complete. And we're going to look at three, uh, three, three points this morning. Firstly, God's love perfected and complete. And then we'll come on to radically loved to radically love. And then thirdly, fighting for the victory of God's love. Firstly, God's love perfected and complete. God's love is to be made perfect in a certain way. And then also to be made complete in another. We're looking again at verse 16 to 18, if you've got your Bible open. He says this, So we have come to know and to believe, and the NIV says to rely on. We've come to rely on the love of God, the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in, again other translations say live in, dwell in, Be confident in, house yourself in the love of God, abides in God. God abides in him, but this love is, by this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Have you ever got someone a voucher before? You ever bought someone a nice voucher? Uh, imagine this. You save up. 
You scrimp up because somebody, has, somebody you love dearly has got a birthday coming up. And you think, I really, really want to show them my love. I want to treat them. So you, you, you actually sacrifice and forego some things that you normally would get. I think, no, I, I want to save up as much as I can because I want to get them a voucher for a luxury holiday. I want them to really experience the joy of my love. And I want to get them a voucher for a luxury holiday. And so you even sell some things to get a bit more money. Yeah, I can then afford it. Now, wouldn't it disappoint you if you gave them that voucher and they said, oh, thank you so much. I love this voucher. I just love the font on it, the calligraphy. I love the way it's, it's got these colours on it. I love the voucher. And they keep phoning you. Thank you so much again for this voucher. I, I collect vouchers. I love vouchers. And then on the next birthday, they come to you and say, do you remember last year you got me that voucher? Oh, such a special voucher. Thank you. John is saying here that God's love is not made perfect if it's not experienced. It must move from our head to our hearts. There must be an experience of God's love. There must be a dwelling in it. There must be a, I I, want to cash in the check. You ever get checks from from aunties and uncles on birthdays? So I remember a sitcom once where a guy, one time, he's like, I've got all these $3 checks from my grandmother. I've been saving them up for years. I'm going to go and cash them in. Cashes them all at the same time. And then his grandmother gets in trouble. She doesn't have enough money in the bank. But um, we, we don't get checks to just hold on to them. We don't get a voucher just to hold on to it. There's something about, I want to give you something for you to walk into, to experience, to enjoy. John is saying here that God's love is not perfect if it is not experienced. There's a moving from, yeah, okay, I, I read what it says here, to I'm going to start to perm- let this permeate my life. I'm going to step into the goodness of this. I I need to chew on this. I need to drink of it. I want to sing songs about it. I want it to be in and around me. I want it to be the perfume that I smell of, the love of God. We must get to that place where we don't just know the story of Jesus, but that we rely on its fruitfulness, sorry, truthfulness, and we let it become our hope. I actually hope in it, believing it, and letting it be our confidence as we draw near to God. The love of God is what makes us to be able to say, I can actually think of that day when the judge of eternity, the judge of history will say, right, today is the day when judgment will be poured out from the holy of holies and be able to say, I can stand. I can stand confident because my hope is in this. I've dwelt in his love. It's permeated me. I've made sure I've fought for it. I've clung to it. His love is surrounding me. I'm confident because I know he loves me. We rely on its truthfulness and believing it to be our confidence. He's given a gift, a provision that is meant to be experienced and celebrated. If you're someone who finds you're not confident of God's love, I just, I just not always confident of it because, because I, I haven't loved him well. I, I know it. if I'm honest, I haven't loved him. Well. The Bible says to do certain things. I just know I mess up on them. I don't do them consistently. I know I haven't behaved well. I've been naughty at times. I've chosen my own way. I haven't been consistent. I haven't been a good Christian. Then you need to understand that confidence will never come by looking at what you have done. But rather, in his taking the initiative, verse 19, we love him because 
He first loved us. He first drew near to us. And in response, we love him. We need to cash in the voucher. We need to let the walls come down and receive. Okay, he says it. I just need to accept it. I just need to believe it. I need to take a leaf out of John's book. In John's gospel, he describes himself five times like this. John, uh, have I written it down? Yeah. 21.7, he says this. The disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, and so on. Five times in John's gospel, he refers to himself as the disciple who Jesus loved. And you think, that's a bit weird. Is this guy really arrogant? Loved me, guys. I don't know about you, but he loved me. Is he boasting? No, no, this is John's primary identity. John is sharing, this is my confidence. This is what I dwell in. John is saying, this is what my hope is. I am loved by Jesus. This is more important to him than his name. I'm loved by Jesus. I'm the disciple Jesus loved. If you're in Christ today, if you're a Christian in this room, you've put your faith in Jesus, you've turned away from sin and you've asked God for forgiveness, he's forgiven you, you can look confidently in the mirror today and say, I am the disciple Jesus loves because of what he's done. Because we are like him in this world. It says in this, this is our hope for our confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, I'm like him. He's loved me. He's given me his righteousness. He's clothed me in his love. He's clothed me in his forgiveness, in his righteousness. And now I look a bit like him. But before God, my confidence is I'm in him. So we can be confident before God. I am the disciple Jesus loves. God's love is perfected as it is received. As it is relied on and lived in with confidence. You think, that's really foreign to me? There's something to fight for. God wants his love to be perfected in you, received. This is the only love that can cast out fear, the perfected love of God. If you're somebody who knows, I, I, I reside more in fear than I do in the love of God, well, there's an exchange that can happen. I can, I can put down fear by residing in his love because then his perfected love, it casts out fear. He's with me. He's for me. He's over all things. And he loves me. That's the love that casts out fear. Knowing that you're the disciple Jesus loves causes you to know you can be confident on the day of judgment. And then he uses this phrase about God's love being made complete. He does in other translations at at least. And did you know that the love of God is oxymoronic in some ways? The Bible says a number of times, he has loved us with an everlasting love. Well, which one is it? Has he loved us? Or is it? Yeah, he has loved us, past tense, with an everlasting love, present continuous. It's both together. In a similar way, here, God's love is made complete, or it is, I say, not made complete unless it is ongoing. What is it complete or is it ongoing? Well, it won't be complete unless it is ongoing. God's love is not complete if it is not ongoing. If we hold on to God's love, it's not complete. If someone is given a well in a village and they, 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 they keep it to themselves, the well's not really complete because it's meant to resource the village. 
And we've been given a love that is supposed to go beyond ourselves. It's completed as it is shared. It's supposed to move, yes, from our head to our heart to be perfected and experienced. And then it's supposed to move from our heart to our hands as we share it and we give it and we proclaim it to the world. The love of God is complete. And there are a number of times in the Bible that phrase is used. Peter, Paul says in Philippians 1, Let my joy be made complete by being of the like mind. By, by experiencing uh, Jesus' love for you in this way. And he goes on to talk about how Jesus is the saviour and we can let that change our lives like we're talking about today. But Paul has to say, but let my joy be made complete by taking this on. Take this on. It's not meant for me to hold on to. Make my joy complete. And, and John, later on in his, his, his uh, letter, says the same things. Oh No, earlier on actually, in 1 John 1, he says... Uh, We share these things with you. We've known Jesus. We've touched Jesus. We've experienced Jesus. And we share it with you that our joy may be complete. You see, there's there's an experience of completing the love of God by passing it on. You want to experience God's love more? Share it. Share it in your behaviour. Share it in your words. Share it radically. This comes to our second point. We've been radically loved to radically love. Loving others with a selfless love is a clear sign that the love of God has impacted us to the point of overflow. It just permeates us. It just drips off of us because we're desperate for it. We're desperate for it. When we consider the character and the nature of God's love, we understand it's not like any other love. It's not of this world. It is the most beautiful and the most fierce And the most radical love that there is. Verse 7 says that anyone who loves like him has been born of him and knows him. If you're born of someone, they're your father. I want to love like my father does. If you know someone, they're your friend. I want to love like my friend does. I want his love to impact the way I love other people. It should change me. He's my father. He's my friend. It doesn't make sense for me to claim father, son, friend, and then not be impacted by him. Not let his love impact the way I love others. The most radical characteristic of God's love is probably this. God's love is holy. God's love is other. And I've said this recently, and God revealed it to me. I think it's helpful. There are many of us that have experienced love. And we've experienced mockery of love. We've experienced fake love, false love, hurtful love, worldly love. And it has hurt us. And we come to church and we find people saying, God loves you. And we think, but I don't value love. I don't want that love. Because when I experienced love from my parents or something, it might have been, yeah, that was abusive or that was neglectful. Or I experienced the love of my spouse who left me. And the pain that comes from that. Or my friendship group that that just turned their back on me. I've experienced love. But his love is holy. Do you know what holy means? Other. His love is not like other loves. And so when you come to church and we say, God loves you, we're not saying, you know, like that. Unlike anything. God's love for you is therefore genuine. Genuine. It's not contrived. 
It's not, oh, I've got to work on, no, no. He loves you genuinely. He doesn't have caveats and stipulations to his love. It is not a selfish love for his own sake. It is patient and kind. It keeps no record of wrongs. It knows all your wrongs, but keeps no record of them. It does not grow tired or weary. It hates evil and it clings to what is good. And his love does that for your sake. It hates you experiencing evil. It wants you to experience good. It is self-sacrificial. It is zealous. It put him on the cross and it caused you to live. His love is unlike any other love. It is a holy and genuine love. And in this passage, John is saying, this is the love that is to permeate the church. This is the love that is not to be held on to, but to be made complete by permeating the church, flowing out of us. We are loved radically so that we can love radically, self-sacrificially, laying down ourselves for others. We don't get our understanding of love from Love Island. We don't get our understanding of love from Disney. Or from rom-coms. We don't get our understanding from Shakespeare. We get our understanding from the high king of heaven, born low to save me. We get our understanding from the radical God who stooped to put a towel around his waist. And wash the dirty feet of these wallies that he had to walk with all the time. We get our understanding from... The one who welcomed the woman who others sneered at and dismissed as a harlot as she wept and kissed his feet. We get it from the one who loved tax collectors and prostitutes. We get it from the one who patiently walked with foolish men as they got it wrong again and again and again. And he turned them into free men who looked more and more like him. Losers who he turned into victors. We get it from the one who went into the Garden of Gethsemane knowing what was coming, utterly terrified and yet prevailed and won the victory of obedience for your sake. We get our understanding of love from the one who on a bloody cross after he had been beaten and his his body was in pieces and he had his beard pulled out and a crown mockingly shoved into his and blood gushing from him whilst he was being mocked and spat at and jeered at cried out Father forgive them for they don't know what they're doing this is how we know what love is we don't get our understanding from anywhere else the Bible says this is how we know what love is that he would lay down his life for us and John is saying this the world will see that love as we share it, the visible love of God through his people, displaying it to one another in radical ways. I was thinking about this, I don't want to overemphasize this, but I think that might be one of the reasons why the Queen has been remembered so fondly. It was said that she loved Jesus. I heard someone who was close to her saying she didn't take her role seriously, uh, sorry, she didn't take herself seriously, but she took her role very seriously, her God-given role. She tried to honour God by serving others as best as she could. And I think people saw something of the sacrificial love of God in one of his servants. The world is supposed to see in his people his love. 
His invisible love is made visible in the church. The world is supposed to see that. And if you find it difficult to love other people, if you are struggling to forgive or struggling to have capacity to love, John is saying that that will come as a natural overflow the more you abide in and receive God's love. If you're like, I just can't give. I, I'm, I'm just, I don't have any capacity for it. I'm empty. Well, there's an answer there. Fill yourself. Come, abide in him. Come and drink deeply of the wellspring of his love. That really is the answer. If you find, I just find I'm bitter. I cannot forgive that person. I, well, there's something, actually, one of the answers here is, you haven't understood how loved you are. You have not understood how radical his love for you is. And once you start to drink more deeply of it, oh my goodness, I am the disciple Jesus loves. Why am I still messing around with this? Why am I still angry about this thing? Jesus has loved me with an everlasting love. The judge of heaven and earth is pleased with me. I don't have to hold out to to justify myself. I don't have to fight these little battles of self-righteousness, of self-justification. He's justified me. He's made me righteous. And suddenly, the love of God permeating you overflows to, I can let go. I can forgive. I can even turn the other cheek. Say, come at me again. We see this in Jesus, the one who says, I didn't, he didn't sort of forget, stop forgiving at the sixth or seventh or eighth time. He forgave again and again and again. He went again and again. It's almost like... Uh, that scene, if you've seen the two towers, the Lord of the Rings one, this is a bizarre thing, just came into my head. Um, that, that, that time that the orcs are trying to get into the tower, and one of them takes, is he holding a bomb or something, and he just charges, and he's just poof, poof, out the way, I'm going to get there, and then he launches himself and explodes the tower. Jesus is a bit like that. Oh, everything was against him, but I must win for them. I've got to get hold of them. And the people who were trying to get in his way were the ones he was trying to save. He fights for us. He's fought for us in his love. Let it amaze you again and again. Let it delight your heart and it will flow out of you. Finally, I want to talk about fighting for the victory of God's love. Which in a way is what we've been talking about this whole time. But I want to particularly look about what that might look like in community. And fighting for it for one another. Through Jesus Those of us in him, in Christ, have been loved in this extraordinary way. And the victory of the cross brings us out of the oppression of sin and death. We've got this chain here. Heavy chain. And I don't want to break the mic here, but sin and death. Guilt and shame. Anger. These things are a heavy burden around our neck. Jesus has won a victory that took this off of us. And laid it upon himself. The weight has been lifted. There's freedom for us. We know we have this incredible victory over shame and over guilt. Jesus has obeyed the law of God perfectly so that it cannot, the law of God doesn't sit in judgment over us anymore. It's not this heavy weight on us anymore. It's not a burden over us anymore. Jesus has lifted the burden. It doesn't sit in judgment over us. The judge declares those in Christ as not guilty. And Paul is clear in Galatians 5. It is for freedom's sake that Christ has set us free. And then he says this. Stand therefore. No longer 
to be subject to a yoke of slavery. That is the victory of the love of God. The victory of the gospel is freedom from captivity. Freedom from the captivity of sin and death. And also the captivity, as I said, of trying to justify ourselves. Trying to earn our own righteousness. Our own freedom. Jesus has done it. And there are a number of times in his letters where Paul urges Christians, don't shift from the hope that you have in the good news. Don't let go of it. Don't shift from it. Hold on. This is your line. This is what you hold on to all the time. Do not let go of the hope that you have in the gospel. Don't turn to other things for hope. Hold fast to Jesus' victory. Fight the temptation to feel guilty. You'll be tempted to feel guilty. There is an accuser who wants you to be, again, yoked. The accuser says, put it back on. Put it back on. Satan comes again and again, subtly. Come on. Just put it on. You know you deserve this. You know this is rightfully yours. Put it back on. The only thing that can help us to stand free from that is to keep to the hope of the gospel. No, it's gone. Do not put the chains back on. But Paul's example, it goes further than simply doing that for himself. He urges others to do that. That's part of our role as brothers and sisters. We urge others, take the chains off. Take the chains off. That's how we can fight for others in the community of the church. And on one particular occasion, Paul famously challenges and confronts Peter because Peter has been intimidated by people and he's picked up, without realising it, the chains and he's put them back on. And Peter has got out of line with the gospel. He's fallen into slavery again, adhering to things that Jesus has freed him from. And Paul says, when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. He confronted Peter to his face. And when something is doing something which annoys you, if something annoys you, but it is not denying or flouting or disregarding the love of God in the gospel, just leave it. Because we're called to challenge one another with the gospel. Not just, I don't like that. That annoys me. In fact, if something annoys you, but it hasn't actually gone against the gospel, you need to come to God and say, God, I need you to help me with this. This is my issue because I've gone against the gospel because the gospel is a gospel of grace, of kindness, of love, of bearing with one another. God, help me with this. But we will help others if we see them standing in opposition to the gospel, putting chains on themselves, which Jesus has freed them from. We will grow in Christ more together when we help each other stand in the victory of the love of God and not taking chains up that Jesus took off. Now, there's a few things here practically for us. Going into this term, we can put this into practice. It's not just a message. You can think, that was interesting. We've got to work this into our behaviour, into our everyday life. We need to listen carefully to one another. We must listen carefully. If we just caricature people and think, yeah, I know them, I know the way they think. No, you've got to listen. Over time, we hear people's hearts come out of their mouths. What they believe, what they're holding on to. We pay attention and we can hear, hey, there's guilt. There's guilt. Can I just help you? Let's 
Jesus has paid for that. Let's take that off. There's no, there's no guilt in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. Hey, you're living in guilt. You're living in shame. I've heard it a number of times. You've put yourself down in a way that just isn't, is not in alignment with the gospel. You're the disciple Jesus loves. And we can really bring freedom for each other as we pay attention. What is coming out of each other's language and voice as we're telling themselves lies, listening to the lies of the enemy who wants them to put it back on. We can lovingly tell them to their face, as Paul did, that their conduct is not in step with the truth of the gospel. Perhaps this will include helping them walk through repentance and receiving God's forgiveness, reminding them that they are the disciple Jesus loves. Taking notice when someone's not enjoying the love of God and their eyes are on themselves all the time, reminding them of the victory of the love of God. It helps them to get in step with the gospel. Maybe you know someone who just struggles with anger, angry a lot, and you're close enough to them. You say, hey, we're called to be in step with the gospel. This isn't in step with the gospel. Let me help you. Let's walk this through together. What's going on here? There's freedom for you. Anger is putting chains back on. Maybe someone is more subjective to their emotions than they are to the gospel. We're called to be subject to the gospel. Perhaps one of your good Christian friends is upset or offended about something and it's put them back in chains. And the gospel has freed them from those chains. We can come alongside them and say, hey, you don't need to be offended because maybe some of your self-righteousness was challenged. Or maybe uh, some of your, the value you get from being that thing was, was challenged. Because Jesus is your value. Jesus gave you value. Jesus is your righteousness. And... This stuff I'm saying is not culturally British. Some of you might think, yeah, that's lovely. That's a great idea. I don't know I'm going to do that. Well, many of you aren't British, so that's a good start. But this is culturally kingdom of God. This is culturally kingdom of God. First and foremost, we are the disciples Jesus loves. That's the culture we want to shape us. That is where the world will see the love of God in contrast to the darkness and brokenness of the world. It's also where we will experience radical and courageous love from each other and experience the victory of the love of God. You're not meant to walk around in chains if the, bat- if the war is over, if they've been lifted. Don't walk around in chains. There's a victory to be walked in. John is saying this all one and all the same. The love of God truly received will be truly enjoyed giving us immense confidence before the Holy God. Then it will be freely and radically shared and courageously fought for. We don't walk in defeat. We walk in victory. We don't walk in defeat. Got time for a song, Chris? Well, let's do a song. I don't ask you that, do I? Because then you're like, I don't know. (laughs) Let's do a song. We want to pray. And I do think there's a response here for us. Father, what a love. What a love. What a love you have given us. That you would lay down your best for those who are the worst. That you could reconcile us to you. That you would run through the opposition, bursting forth, bursting from the grave in victory and bringing us with you this is awesome and Lord I do pray that it would 
settle in the hearts of many who have been reluctant to receive. Lord, let it get to the deeper places in our hearts, in our lives. Let it shape who we are. Let it shape our confidence. Let it shape our moods and our uh, mindsets. Let it shape our decisions. The love of God. I'm the disciple Jesus loves. Do pray, Lord, that it would shape our relationships, that we would radically love because we've been radically loved and that the world would look on and say, that is not like normal. Yeah, you're right, it's not. This is the love of God. And Lord, I pray you'd help us to be courageous in our love for one another. To say, come on, let's get out of these chains. Together, let's get out of these chains. Come on, there's life, there's freedom, there's victory. He's won the day. He's burst forth from the grave. There's no chains anymore. What if you just might stand, and perhaps some of you would know. Let's stand. Some of you would know. I have been dry and I am dry and I have not got it within me to forgive or to love or to even think about other people. And now you're realising I haven't been experiencing and swimming in the love of God. What if you might just put your hands out in a position of humility and receptivity. I believe God wants this morning, in the prayer meeting earlier, it was very much the theme God wants to love us this morning. He wants to love us. And Father, I just pray as we sing this song and as we just stand here, that many would just know waves of your tangible love. Waves of faith. This is for me. This is for me. I am the disciple Jesus loved. His, His joy is on me. Oh God, please, would you speak to many this morning? I love you. I see you. My hand is upon you. I have plans for you. Come and join me. Come and make my joy perfected in you by letting it drench you. Come and make my love complete by sharing it. Thank you, Lord.